Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. We are never going to run out of things to celebrate and discover about our limitless God. I mean, he's going to keep blowing our mind just eon after eon. He's going to keep surprising us. Man, I can't wait to see him. Can you? Man, I'm I'm excited. We get to see the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has saved us, redeemed us, and made us free. And if if worship for you, and I know there's a lot of different styles of worship, and, and we love that, and here God's blessed us with what we have, and we're so grateful to get to worship this way. But man, I'm praying that sometime in your day that there is a moment where you really turn your attention and your affection towards our incredible God and just look at who he is, stand in awe of him, and then remind yourself to sort of adapt your life to that truth. That is really the key to our walking with the Lord is remembering who he is. And we worship our way into idolatry. And when we get confused, and it leads us into worshiping false God and smaller things. And we find ourselves in little bitty stories. But when we see him in all of his glory and we remind ourselves, thank you for that scripture, Sam. And we remind ourselves of how, who he really is. Everything else just grows strangely dim and it becomes far less important, doesn't it? And that's really why we're here. So I'm so grateful to get to worship with you guys. I'm thankful to get to preach again. And it'd been great having our pastor back from Kenya. I just love him to death. I miss him. It's so, so good to have him back. I'm grateful for a pastor that, that gives me opportunities to preach. It's a very rare thing, and it's a tremendous blessing and high honor. I take it very seriously, and I'm so grateful to get to share with you guys. We have been working through Colossians, and it's been a journey, right? I think it's been several months ago we began the book of Colossians. I hope you've enjoyed it. I told you at the beginning that I really felt like Colossians was one of my favorite books of the Bible uh, it is just really high up there for me because of what's in it, how dense it is, how condensed all this truth is and what it, what it means for our lives and, and who we are and all these things. And so if you've been here, uh, you understand that it's taken a while. We're into chapter four, solidly. Last chapter, we're into chapter four. And now as we kind of summarize this, you've heard enough of these summaries, but we always want to start here because there's some of you guys we're just meeting today. We really want to say welcome if you're our guest. We really are excited that you're here. We're going to catch you up a little bit, but we've been going through this amazing book and we're kind of getting to the end of it and we're just kind of saying wow at this moment and we're looking at what this means for us. And so I think this is a real pivotal message. And to be honest with you, I feel like if we begin to receive what Paul wants us to get from this message today. This could be a moment for at least a handful of us, hopefully all of us, where we look back and say this was the moment when together we recognized what God was calling us to in a new and fresh way. And so I'm I'm really praying that God works here. If you haven't been here, the gist of this is that Paul wrote this letter uh, called Colossians, and it's written to guess who? The Colossians. And uh, it's... He's writing to these people in Colossae, which were in Asia Minor. And over there, there was a bunch of different cultures represented. And they were doing a lot of what we do. They were searching for what they believed was their hope of glory. They were looking for something glorious enough to build their lives on. Glorious enough to build their hopes for eternity on. And just like us, they searched everywhere. They searched in paganism, which was kind of their roots. They searched in just a raw spiritualism where they wanted to seek out after 
special messages from the angels and demons and gods, and they felt like there was a way to get secret knowledge from the spirit world through these procedures and, and different rituals. They saw there. They also looked in Judaism. A lot of them came out of Judaism, so they were looking there. They were looking at even Roman nationalism. They were looking for all these things, thinking that, that one of these things, maybe even a handful of these things, would help them find their hope of glory. Now, Paul is writing to a group of Christian believers who have found Jesus. And Jesus had changed their lives, which is why they were gathering together. They were saved by Jesus. But as they began to walk in Christ, they began to wonder, well, okay, Jesus saved me, but if I really want to take another step forward and move forward in real maturity, if I really want to grow and do something special, if I want to have all the blessings of life, then I need Jesus plus something. So maybe it was Jesus, Jesus and paganism, Jesus and Judaism, Jesus and spiritualism, Jesus and maybe my status in the Roman culture. Whatever it was, they, they began to seek after these things to try and obtain this hope of glory that, that they were seeking after. They thought Jesus is really great, but if I can add even more to that, that's what I want to do. And what Paul is writing this letter to do, and he's writing it from prison in Rome. His friend has come a long way to pick up the letter and to get this information to him, and he's going back, and he gives this letter to him, and the bottom line is this. Paul writes this letter to these people. He's never actually met him before. This friend that's come to see him is, is the one who planted this church, but Paul is seen as the authority, and he writes back, as the one that has been clearly proclaiming Christ to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, he writes back and says, Christ is this big word, preeminent in all things. In other words, he is first. He is above everything else, and he created everything else, and all things are created by him and for him. And, and you don't need anything but Jesus, okay? It's not Christ and anything. Christ is the creator of all things. And so when you go out and try and find Christ and anything, you're saying Christ and something he created. He's saying, go back to the source and see that everything you're looking for is in Christ, that he alone is worthy of our worship. He alone can rescue us out of the dominion of darkness. He alone is the source of our spiritual life, our freedom, and our genuine satisfaction, that, that hope that they were looking for. And so Colossians is written to make it clear that Christ alone is our hope of glory. And so as we've been through this series to summarize, we've learned this, that Christ is our, some big church words here, you ready? Christ alone is our hope for salvation, which for justification. That means he's able to redeem us, forgive us all of our sin and make us righteous before God, make us innocent, that we stand before God without blemish and free from accusation. That's crazy. That not only that, but the next step beyond salvation, we call that our sanctification, where he's setting, up, setting us apart, making us Christ-like. That is a progressive thing which we participate in. And he says, Christ is enough to work out your salvation into your daily life. He will sanctify you. You don't need other stuff. And Christ is enough for your glorification. And that's another big church word that means one day when we are in heaven and we receive our new body, he will be enough then. We won't need anything else for that. So he's enough for all of those things. It was, as we've begun to apply this to our life, we've seen that, that Christ alone is enough for our source of identity and our righteousness. He has defined who we are. And we looked at how our culture so desperately is trying to figure out who am I? The answer to that question, so much so that the most basic of questions about who am I, we are confused on and we cannot answer. But Christ is the source of all of that information. He has told us who we are. He's done that inward work in us. 
And Christ is also our hope. We look through suffering. When we face difficulty, when we face pain, we don't need Christ and anything else. He is enough. He's also our hope. We learned last week for harmonious relationships with others. We saw how that affects our marriages, our families, and our professional life. Christ alone is our hope for that. Christ is everything. He is our all in all. He does every bit of it. And the crazy thing is he does it through this mystery, which is not Christ and you, the mystery, it's not Christ, even just with you, like it was in the old Testament. That was weeks ago. Wasn't that awesome? It's just crazy to think about it's Christ in you. You are dwelled by the Holy spirit. Literally you have Christ in you working himself out of you. So all these things that we thought were impossible for us to ever do, to have a great marriage, to have a great family life, to, to, to honor Christ in our professional life, to, to honor him in our relationships, to, to put off our old identity, to put on our new identity. All these things we felt like were impossible, right? Because we know that they actually are if it depends on us. But we're able to look at that, that differently and know that because of Christ in us, not only has he worked on us, but he's working in us creating us to be a new creation. He changes our desires and fills us with power to overcome temptation and to walk in victory in a whole brand new life. That is the gospel and it's mind blowing. It is transformative and it's great news, right? It's really awesome news because I know that that if you go out there, even just to some random churches, pretty soon you'll come up on one where the gospel is Christ is enough to save you. But after that, the onus is on you to step up to make sure you keep your salvation, maintain your salvation, step forward in sanctification. And you hope that maybe if you do your part well, that one day you'll receive glorification, right? If you go to enough churches, it won't take long to find one who preaches that. But that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is that he alone is enough. He does it in you. He transforms you by his grace through your faith, not of works, so that none of us can boast. He does it powerfully on us, and then he does it in us. And that is our hope, and that is an amazing message. Don't you think the world around us would love to hear that message? That is so much better than what the TV gives them. That is so much better than what's offered them. This is the true gospel that we have to take to them. Now, we get it. This is amazing, and we're pretty happy it's true, right? We just sang about it. I think it's fueled our worship these last several months as we've looked at this. It has been awesome to come together and celebrate this incredible truth. And I would say this, that many of you honestly believe that this is true, and you're living like it, and praise God for that. I want us to live like it's true in every facet of our life. And I find that this is funny. Sometimes I've seen it in my own life where we come in and we celebrate these things are true and we, we believe them and then we step out into our world and because we want to be sensitive to everyone's needs, we pretend as if it's not. But it is. And this gospel is what we have to share with the rest of the world. Sometimes we come in here and we're like, wow, look at how big Jesus is. And then when it comes time to turn outward with this thing, we're like, yeah, he's pretty great. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is life-altering news. And Paul pointed us through Colossians. He's walked us through. He's taken his time, and we've taken months, all right, to go through his letter. That he's pointed us upward to see the glory and preeminence of Jesus Christ. He's pointed us inward to see what Christ in us has accomplished, how that's been a transformative thing, given us new hearts, a new identity, a new source of power. And now Paul in chapter 4 is turning us outward, Right? We've seen who he is. We've discovered who we are because of Christ in us. And now we get to see the heart of Paul as he's saying, let's turn outward. And this is why I feel like this is a pivotal moment for us as a church. 
he wanted us to see this. And I'm going to say this, that real faith in Jesus causes us to share Jesus with others. Let me say it again. Real faith in Jesus causes us to share Jesus with others. This is not something that we grow into. This is instant. Go and look at how Jesus called the disciples. It was literally seconds after they're running to tell their friends about Jesus. Okay. And so some of us think that sharing Jesus is something that one day we can achieve the right to grow into one day. That somehow we'll be holy enough. Somehow we'll learn enough. Some will be fluent in the gospel language enough. Or one day we'll grow into it. Or maybe we would have the privilege of being able to share a little tidbit of the gospel with somebody else. And I want you to say that is a lie from the enemy that God immediately desires for us. Because Christ is in us, his message is going to come out of us. You got this? If Christ is in us, then his message is going to come out of us. And so as we get that, look with me in Colossians chapter four. And I want to read you the first uh, few verses here. Actually starting in in verse two. I'm going to limit myself to a couple of verses here because I really think that there's enough. And if we can apply this much to our lives, it's going to be transformative. So here we go. Uh, This is Colossians chapter four, verse two. It says this, that Paul admonishes them. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. I'm going to read ahead a little. I don't think I'm going to preach this far in, but I want you to hear this. We'll get to it soon. But it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's our text. God teaches through it. He's saying, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in thanksgiving. Pray for me that God will open doors to declare the mystery of Christ, which is the reason why I'm in prison. And I want to make it clear, that's how I ought to speak. And I want to break this down because I feel like this is so crucial for us as a church. But before I break down the text, I want to break down the author, okay? Can we look at this? Now, we know that this was given to us by God through Paul. But I want to look at Paul's life for just a moment and look at him. Paul is a living story of what he is proclaiming here. Now, if you're not familiar with Paul's life, let me catch you up to speed. Uh, Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. Uh, He actually saw Jesus. Uh, He was alive during that time. In fact, he was a Pharisee, which is one of the religious leaders uh, in Judaism. Uh, They were very powerful sect that followed the law and studied the law intently. And Paul was sort of a prodigy through that and grew incredibly quick, had an awesome uh, teacher, Gamaliel, who was uh, leading him into incredible knowledge. So he was sort of a prodigy in there. So, So his name was Saul. That was his Jewish name. And while he was there, uh, man, he, he began to be very zealous, very passionate about what he believed. And so when this guy gets up named Jesus, who claims to be the son of God, naturally Saul, a good Jew, is like, how dare you claim to be God, right? So Saul is right in there in the thick of it, uh, trying to squelch this Jesus movement, this movement they called the way where people were beginning to start to follow Jesus. Now, while he was alive, that was one thing. They had to deal with all these crazy miracles that were happening. But, you know, what really turned the corner was the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to die and raise again. And then he did. (laughs) And so when he came back to life after the Jews and the Romans tried to crucify him, when he rose again and over 500 people saw him, began testifying about this. When the Holy Spirit came upon his church and began to empower them and move forward, 
And when, when Peter gets up to preach, thousands in Jerusalem got saved like in a, in a day, in a moment. Thousands started, and don't think it stopped there. It began to spread like wildfire. A dude rose from the dead, right? Like people were excited about this. They, he conquered sin and death. And what does this mean for us? And so they wanted to know. And so the message of the way, which was the gospel of Jesus, began to spread. Well, Saul is frustrated by this. And so Paul, uh, Saul, excuse me, begins to sort of be a part of stamping out the way. And we see him in the book of Acts holding coats for people who were stoning Stephen, one of the, the followers of the way who preached an incredible message there in Acts. You should read it. And it literally says that Jesus stands up, stands up as he's being stoned. And, and Stephen goes on to be with the Lord. And it's just crazy. Saul is there and proud of that. Well, he gets some papers so he can go to Damascus and put more people in prison sometime after this event. And while he's on the road to go and put more Christians in jail and put them to death, the God of the universe shows up on the road and appears to him. And after this encounter uh, where he's saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, it doesn't take long for Saul to figure out that he has wires crossed. He wanted to worship Jehovah God, but he found out that Jesus was his son. And so, man, you're talking about 1-8. So Saul, who, who had been a persecutor of Jewish, uh, or those who were following Jesus, suddenly becomes one who wants to share the gospel with everyone else. You've got this Pharisee of Pharisees. Dad was a Pharisee. He's high up in it. He's like the prodigy. They're banking on him to sort of carry on the tradition in the next generation. All of a sudden, bam, 180. He wants to follow Jesus. And so naturally, the Christians don't trust him. They think he's trying to infiltrate the way, right? So he can get even more of them. So it takes him a while to gain the trust. But through a friend, Bar Barnabas encourages the believers to accept him. And over time, as Paul begins to lay his life down for the gospel, we get to see this incredible transformation. You guys, Paul begins, he goes by his, his Roman name at this point. He goes by Paul at this point. I'm a new creation. He's been transformed and it's dramatic. Go read it in Acts. But as he goes out, he begins to go from town to town to town. And he goes right to the Jewish synagogue. And he's like, it's just Jesus, right? He goes in, he runs in, and he's like, all this other stuff is great, but it's fulfilled through Jesus. And now the real sacrifices come. There's no need for any of this. Now let's just fall on our face and worship the, the, the Son of God who's risen from the dead. Uh, follow him. And he goes and proclaims this message. And some rejected him and some didn't. And even if they accepted him pretty soon, there was like this whole group of Pharisee leaders who would follow him around trying to clean up his mess and stamp out wherever he's been. So they would show up the next day and want to start a riot wherever he went to turn him against him. But Paul does not stop. Paul is not a safe man. He's walking through streets. He's going through cities. He's going right into the guts of it. Man, he's going to the most difficult places. And all the time, he's like, I just want to go where the gospel has not been preached. I want to go to people who've never heard. They're not going to know unless we go. And so he keeps going out as fast as he can to the Jews and to Gentiles. And eventually, he's, he's primarily going to Gentiles. And he eventually ends up in Ephesus, which is where Epaphras, his friend, uh, meets him and goes back and plants uh, three churches there in the Hierapolis. One of them was in Colossae. I mean, it's incredible what's happened. The gospel begins to explode throughout Rome. It is transforming the whole place. And Paul gets put in jail, not because he was terrible, but because he was sharing the gospel and it was transforming communities so fast that it was changing their economy. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. They couldn't even sell their idols anymore. People didn't want to come buy the trinkets and the idols. They're like, you know, LJ, we got apples. You know, those towns they were selling, you know, when you tourists our town, come buy this statue of, of 
Diana. It'll be awesome. And they stopped buying them. So the merchants freak out and start a riot. They chase him out of town. They beat him. I mean, he's in prison at several different stages. And it seems like every time they put him in jail with somebody, he comes out. It's more Christians. He multiplies even the jail. All the prisoners and the guards come out. Christians, wherever he goes, there's this explosion of the gospel. They can't, they can't shut it down because it's the Holy Spirit moving. It's Christ in Paul doing what Christ does. And his gospel is going out all over the world. And Paul's obsessed with this. And even as he's writing this from prison, he's like, pray that God will open doors for me. Are you following this? He's like, pray that God will open doors. I'm like, I'd be praying God would open the cell door. Like, that would be my prayer. That's all I'm thinking about in there. I'm like, there's one door I care about, and that's the cell door. Pray for that. But no, that's not what Paul's saying. He's like, pray that God will open doors for the gospel. That's, that's an entirely gospel-obsessed worldview, right? He never stops thinking about it. And, and it's Christ in him. Desperate to get the message out of him. Now, in Colossians, he kind of zips over it. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm in prison. I don't care. Let's move on. You know, but in Ephesians, he shares a bit more. And I think this is cool because we see how he relentlessly pursued opportunities to share the message of Jesus with the world around him. This is Ephesians chapter three. It says, for this reason, I, I, excuse me. Yeah, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He's like, I'm a prisoner not of Rome. I'm prisoner of Jesus, all right? He's the one that's got me here. I'm trusting him with the outcomes in my life. I'm gonna do what he's told me to do. And if he wants me in prison, that's fine. If God wants me out of prison, you can't stop him. I saw him raised from the dead. I'm not really worried about, I saw him on the street to Damascus. I've seen him literally raise people to life. I know what he's capable of. I'm not really worried. So I know I'm not a prisoner of Rome. If God wants me in jail, I'll stay in jail. If he wants me out of jail, I'll be out of jail. Do you see this attitude? It's awesome. He says, <laughs> little side note, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Listen to this. I'm a steward of God's grace, he says. That was given to me for you. How the mystery, we're talking about the mystery in Colossians, right? Just Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says it here. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. It was revealed to me by God. As I have written briefly, <laughs> when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This is awesome. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints. He really believed this. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, to the authorities, and in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart 
over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Listen, you don't write that if you're more worried about getting out of jail to go and take another step towards what you are looking for in retirement or, or your next hobby, right? Like it, it, this is not a, I'm looking forward to get out so I can chill. This is a gospel obsessed man who is desperate for the world to see the beauty of Christ. He sees himself as a steward of God's grace, which was given to him, not for him to hoard, but for him to share. He, he says, it's been given to me for you. How many of us feel that way? Do you realize that responsibility? Because I mean, yes, this is Paul, but this is also us. And I, I see this, and, and I, I don't know how to say this any, any better, but I honestly believe that God desires for us to be a gospel-obsessed group of people where when we go out in our community, we're not thinking about, well, does this hurt you know, my standing in the community? Does this hurt somebody's feelings if I bring this up? Is this going to be uncomfortable for anybody? Is this going to be uncomfortable for me later? How are people going to perceive me if I you know, get bold about this? How is this going to work? Are there places I should just kind of shut this down and downplay this part of my life? We struggle with this because I think the enemy wants us to. But listen, we can't keep this news to ourselves. We can't. How ridiculous do you think we're going to feel when we see the King of Kings on his throne and we were like, oh, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings on earth. We're going to feel like idiots. I spent more time talking up my college football team to my friend because I want him to see the glory of UGA. Talked about whatever my thing is, you know? We all tweet about it and Instagram about it and whatever. Look how glorious what I've found. There's something way more glorious that our community needs to see. And they're just not going to believe us if we downplay it. Listen, it is as awesome as we say it is. In fact, we don't have the capacity to grasp it. It is beyond anything we could ask or imagine. We can't get it. In fact, when you get to heaven on day one, you're still not going to get it. I think that's part of eternity. We're going to keep getting it, a little more of it, a little more of it, and a little more. You're never going to fully get it, I don't think. Until, I mean, unless we could be God. I think he's unsearchable. That's what it says. The unsearchable riches of Christ. He is that good. Listen, he is glorious, and our community needs to see us lift him up and hold him up. Jesus Christ high above everything else. There is nothing else that can meet their needs. He is all and in all. He created all things and all things are created by him and for him that he might be preeminent in everything. There is nothing that can stand against him. There is no equal. There's no competition for his glory. He is it. It is Jesus Christ. And listen, when we can become obsessed by that in him, I think our lives are going to begin to gravitate and look, our story is going to look a little bit more like Paul's and a little bit more like Paul and a little bit more like Paul each day, a little bit more like Jesus each day. Listen, and when we get that, that's going to transform us. Can I be honest? We are banking on Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit doing that in each of us in a way he's never done it before. Starting with me. We are, we're all in, guys. I don't know if you know what's happening here. But we pushed all our chips to the middle of the table and we said, this community is worth reaching. And God, you've given us a tool and it's way too big for us. I don't know if you've looked around. We have the same amount of square footage as First Baptists down the road, all right? 
I want to be an awesome steward of the tools God's given us. And it's really not that much about this building, but what I can say is this. God has given us a tool so that if we take the gospel of this community, then we'll have what we need to make disciples of everybody here. We've pushed our chips to the middle, guys. There isn't a backup plan here. I'm being honest with you. Like, if we don't grow, we gotta go. I'm serious. Like, that's the deal. And we've said we've got several years to experience this. This is not something's gotta happen tomorrow. But guys, look, God's let us be stewards of this. And if we're not gonna steward it with the gospel and being a gospel-obsessed group of people, then even if we still have money, we should still get out of the way and let some people come in here who are going to, right? Like, this is God's resources here. And this is God's community, and we are God's children. And guys, we don't have time to waste. Do you realize how time is flying by? And you guys who are, I know, at least my age, man, it's crazy. It is crazy. I, I had the chance to sit down with some friends from college the other day who I went to school with, who we all were entering into ministry. There's about a dozen of us who were, who were pursuing what God wanted for us as best we could. We didn't, we didn't understand what we were getting into fully. Uh, but I looked across the table in this room full of maybe 10 people sitting at this table. I looked across to a full-time missionary that's been all over the world that's now in his 40s. He's coming home. You know, three or four full-time staff uh, members in churches, a couple of pastors, and uh, there's a few uh, full-time worship pastors in this group. And this was out of the dozen people I was on leadership with at this group in school. Uh, my wife was on that. She's the uh, director of the Christian Learning Center. I mean, it's, it's amazing what God chose to do through that little fellowship. And, and we were at a reunion of our campus pastor and we looked around and there were 500 of us there. And we can only speak for like the few years where we were connected. But for 37 years, that man made disciples and it, all those people in there. I, I kept going around and meeting people who were pastors, missionaries. It's just God was raising up people in an incredible way. It just was awesome. But y'all look back and I think, Man, at, at 40, I was seeing us trying to figure out, we're all, you know, 41 right there. <laughs> we're all just looking at each other like, what are you doing? Are you still at it? Are you still trying? Are you, have you given up yet? And we're all like, no, we're not giving up. We're still at it. We're still making disciples. And a friend of mine is in basically the same role I was. And uh, he and I were really close friends. And uh, we were just talking about the struggle and the disappointment. And now that in our middle-aged, get attacked here, our middle-aged life, we, we were beginning to realize the enormity of the task that God had given us and how intimidated we were, way more than when we were 25, right? Way more intimidated now than then. But at the same time, I found this incredible joy in walking with a group of people who, whatever role they were in, several were school teachers uh, that were in there that we met uh, from other groups and different things that were investing their lives and, and doing things. It just was awesome to be a part of people who were, were working so hard to do that. And I see that happening in here. And you guys, like, we've we got to set a course. But when I started that story, I was just trying to say, time is going so fast. I mean, I'm looking at these people who I knew when they were, we, and I felt like we've just gotten started, but I'm looking, I'm like, we've put a dent in our lives now. And I'm still young, praise God for that, but I mean, we've used some years. We were stewards of those years, we used them. We only get to be 27 one time. You only get to be 18 one time. You only get to be 41 one time. How am I gonna use that? You get 52 Saturdays that year. How are you gonna use them? Like, time's flying by and we're stewards of this grace that God has given us. And if God is as big as we say he is, we've got to get this out to our community. Now, I want to give you a couple things and then I'm going to shut it down. <laughs> I'm pretty passionate about this, as you can tell. Uh, I just, 
I'm so desperate to see what will happen in a group of people who are obsessed with the gospel and desperately are willing to lay down their lives so their community can see and experience the gospel. That's what I want. So how do we get there? And let's, let's, let's look at this. First off, I, I, I want to do this. We have to prepare, first thing, prepare our hearts in prayer. That's what Paul is saying. He says, pray for me. Pray for me. And he says, pray for open doors. We'll get there in a second. But he says, pray. Pray that God will prepare my heart. That he'll be at work in me. And I think that if we pray purposely, purposefully, and if we, we pray that way, God prepares us for the ministry that he's called us to. God leads us into that place. Now, let's look at how Jesus prayed. Jesus, you know, we get the Lord's Prayer, right? And he says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are amazing. He's worship. He's like, your name is holy. He says, your kingdom come, right? Your will be done. So let your kingdom come. Let your will be carried out just on earth here as it is in heaven. So he's saying, I want you to reign here like you do there. This is how Jesus prayed. It says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we understand that, that he is the king of kings. And he's praying, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is how we pray in our lives. This is sort of the tone of our prayer life. Now we could break down so many different ways of prayer. Lord, we could, I wouldn't be the one I would put up here to talk about prayer. You have so many prayer warriors out here. Maybe we should give them a few hours to come up and just talk about uh, just prayer and the, the power that we get to enjoy in relating to a God who's able to work. And we celebrate that prayer works and, and uh, that's one way of saying it. And I know what we all mean by that, but I think what we ultimately mean is we serve a God who is all powerful. He works, so we ask him to, right? Like God works, that's why we pray. And just because there's a ritual that works, it's God who works and when we appeal to him, he sets himself into action and he moves according to his power. Isn't that beautiful? And so why would we not pray and ask God to work? So if we want God to prepare us for this, we want him to be at work. So we gotta be praying that way. Jesus, when he prays for us, you can read this in John 17, we call it his high priestly prayer. He says that they, we as believers are sent into the world. Like this was his plan. He, said, he says, Father, don't take them out of the world, send them into the world. I've put Christ in them is what's about to happen. And so when that happens, send them out into the world. Don't, don't take them up take them out. That's what I want you to do. And he says, they are in the world, but not of it. The world has hated them. And he says that the world will see the the truth of the gospel and the beauty of God through their unity. And it would cause the world to glorify the father and believe in Jesus. I mean, these are things that Jesus prayed for us. And so things that Paul prayed for himself, that he would be prepared to share that message. And so we pray that way. The second thing is this, that we pray for open doors to proclaim Jesus. I love this. Paul's saying, pray that God will open doors for us to proclaim the mystery of Christ Jesus to the world around us. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I kind of, I feel like that's still true. We talked about, we're joking around. I'd be praying for the door of the cell to be open, but he's praying for open doors out in the world. He's so obsessed with getting the gospel out that even from prison, he's praying for open doors to the gospel. 
Because he's like, how do I get to the, the, the highest ranked guard here? How do I get to the lowest ranked guard here? You know, is there something I could appeal? You know, they were about to let him free, but he appeals to Caesar because he thinks an appeal might get him to talk to Caesar so he can share the gospel with Caesar. Like he's saying, keep me in prison if you need to. I want to keep riding this thing and doing appeals. And he gets to talk to Agrippa and all these other people. It's incredible the adventure God leads him out on because he is so desperate uh, to pray for open doors. And he's praying for other people. He's like, hey, ask God to open doors for us. Now, as we pre- prepare to be that gospel-obsessed people who get the, the truth of Jesus out into our community, this is a huge thing for us. Uh, we've got to commit to do all four of these things. One, we pray that God will prepare our own hearts. The second thing is this, that we pray that God will open doors. And it's really cool. We're so excited. John's about to put us some glass doors on the front, and it's going to happen in the next few weeks. And I don't know exactly when, but it's, it's about to happen. We already cut the hole uh, for doors in here. We're, all, we're always taking doors off and moving around and putting them in up here right now. And the whole, the whole deal is in that foyer, we're trying to make a nice thing because we just want people to come in and we want to say, we love you. Jesus loves you. And we're so excited you're here. We can't wait for you to hear the gospel. We want sort of a landing pad for that. And so we thought, hey, we're going to make that happen. And, and we've got our doors that are open, but what we've got to pray for is that God opened doors for the gospel to get out into this community. And that's going to happen through you. And guess what? There are not that many people in our community that we can just put a sign up and say, y'all come. It's not the way it works. We've got to go to them. We've got to share the gospel out. We've got to pray for open doors to share the gospel with people in our lives. It doesn't happen naturally. We need a supernatural impact where God comes in and gives us opportunities to share with other people in our lives that he will open doors. We can ask, we can throw out an open invite, come worship a God you know nothing about that you don't care about. Uh, in fact, that you may really misunderstand. Not many of them are gonna line up at the door to come and worship him yet, right? And so if our, our thing is just let's, let's, we know this, and I want you to know as a church staff, as, as, as leaders in our church, we're not doing this remodel so that people think our building's pretty and come. That's not the deal. We are, we are honing this tool so that we can love on people when they come. Uh, but the, our plan, our hope for this community is that God supernaturally opens doors through the power of his Holy Spirit where he gives us opportunities to go out with the people in our lives, share Jesus, point them to Jesus, and then lead them to a fellowship where they can worship and grow in Christ, be trained up and equipped, and be launched out into the community to reach another, yet another circle of influence where the gospel begins to multiply out in our community. We're praying for open doors, and we're asking God to work. We're, we're In our small groups, we're praying that God gives us open doors in other people's lives. In our Sunday school classes, in every way, we're praying for God to give us open doors so that when those doors open, we can declare the mystery of Jesus. We are never going to be a church that declares the greatness of this church. We are not about building an organization. We are not about making a name for ourselves. We are about one thing here, and that is making making Jesus famous in our community. And if our names get erased from any of that, we're going to be fine with that. We want him to be glorified in every single way, right? That's what we're all about. So we declare Jesus. He's the only thing that can save him. And I I don't want to say this, that we are asking for open doors to declare the, the mystery of Jesus. And we're going to have to speak that out. Okay. This doesn't happen just because, I mean, if you join Habitat for Humanity and build a house. Praise God for that. You can do that in Jesus' name. But there are a lot of people who do a lot of nice things. Just doing nice things quietly out in the community is probably not going to be the whole story. And they've said, you know, this has been said, preach the gospel and when necessary, use words. 
I get the sentiment and I understand that, but I would say, let's, let's, let's figure out a different way of saying that, right? Let's say, use words every time you possibly can. Unless God strikes you dumb, use your words. Like, if you do something nice for somebody and don't give Jesus glory for what he's done in you, how will they know? There are a lot of nice people in the world who do a lot of nice things for a lot of nice reasons, right? Some for no reason at all. I mean, there really are some nice people out there. It's called common grace. God has worked in all his people. It rains on the rich and the poor. And, and God grants uh, goodness and grace to different people. And, and it's just kind of cool how it works out. There are nice people that don't know Jesus and they'll do nice things for you. But if we go out and just say, we're gonna do nice things for our community. Listen, we gotta open our mouths. It needs to be loud and clear. We are here because of Jesus. He's transformed us. And that's why we're showing up in your life. When you bring food to somebody, when you go and love on somebody, listen, you gotta, you gotta open your mouth and proclaim Jesus, right? You gotta do that. Nice things are great, but proclaim Jesus when you do them. Honestly, I'm wondering how important it is to you if you do 27 nice things for me and you're trying to build a relationship with me and you wanna get it super, super deep before you breach the subject of the gospel. Like if it's taken you a full year to bring up the thing that you think is your whole life is built on, this is your foundation, the thing that has changed you, has, has made you new, that you love more than anything that you're obsessed about and you can keep that quiet for a full year before you bring that up. Like, that's it. I'm like, well, obviously not that big of a deal. You've known you for like two years. You've never brought this up before. And listen, we always have this thing. We're like, build a relationship. And do it. Yes. But I mean, all you gotta do is be like, hey, I really would love to talk to you about Jesus. When do you wanna do that? <laughs> like, it's not rocket science. I mean, just, just say, I wanna talk to you about Jesus. He's awesome. Can we get coffee? I'd love to tell you about it. I mean, that's really all it takes. I mean, honestly, I don't think people are gonna be offended by that. They can say, no, I don't wanna talk about your Jesus. Okay, well, let me know when you do. <laughs> Or I'm gonna ask you again next week. <laughs> you have to be you know, sensitive and take care of people, but man, it's sometimes we just gotta be direct and just be like, man, Jesus has changed my life. I'd love to talk to you about it. Can we hang out sometime? Like, just, just go for it. I mean, you don't have to be a punk and go knock on the door and just be like, you know, yell and start, you know, hellfire and brimstone preaching on their doorstep. Like, just take them for coffee, whatever you gotta do. But let's, let's share Let's share Jesus however we've got to do it and let's make it a way. But anyway, there, there are a lot of ways to do that. I'm gonna uh, keep moving here because there's, there's so much. The, the third thing I want you to get is that we have to clearly declare the message of Jesus. So we pray that God will prepare us. We pray for open doors, but we pray for clarity in our message. And so I, I honestly, that's what I've been talking about, that, that we need to learn how to explain the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And, and listen, if you don't know how to do that, we wanna help you learn how to do that. And, and we're not gonna attempt to explain all that in this message, but I want you to know that you probably, if you're a Christian, you probably already know a lot because that's the very same thing that you accepted, right? That's what you, how you came to Christ is the same gospel that everybody else gets. It's point them to Jesus for their salvation, forgiveness of their sin, that they'd repent and turn away from their former life, realize that Jesus is the son of God, lay down their life before him, ask him for forgiveness, ask him to lead their life. And God says, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ unto salvation, that we are saved and he sets us free and all this stuff in Colossians gets activated and he transforms us. The gospel is actually really simple. I mean, some of you guys know how to do some pretty amazing things and you've spent hours on YouTube trying to figure out how to do it. It only takes minutes to figure out how to share the gospel. If you don't know how to share the gospel, it's time to make yourself an expert. Let's figure it out. It's on you, okay? Don't, it, we can preach messages and do this kind of stuff like that, but take some ownership of that. Learn how to share the gospel and we'll help you. Now, ask your small group, ask your Sunday school for help. And if you're not in a small group, come find us and we will help you get there. But it's time for us to clearly be able to declare the mystery of Christ. And the last thing I'll say without much comment is that we have to share the gospel regardless of the cost. 
And this is going to be tough for us. Paul is writing this from prison, okay? And he writes this in Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, this is from prison, has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen, I think we've got to make the decision that we are not going to keep this amazing news quiet. And if we use circumstances and the cost of this, uh, the consequences for sharing the gospel as an excuse to share, excuse not to share the gospel, we will regret it. I made the comment when we first got going, how dumb are we going to feel when we see God on his throne? That we were hush-hush about this gospel. That we kept quiet about the message of Jesus Christ. You guys, that's going to be, man, we are not going to understand that mentality. We're like, well, we want to be sensitive to our culture and make sure that we don't offend anybody and, and do all these other things. Listen, that, I want you to rethink all of that in view of the one true God on his throne. What's the most loving thing to do now? It's to find a way with respect and honor and compassion to step into people's lives and point them to the thing they're looking for and to do it clearly, passionately, and sensitively. Like meet them where they are. You don't have to dump it all at one time. We can get into all these things, but the bottom line is that we have to do this. We've got to figure out ways to reach out into our life. The enemy has convinced us that keeping quiet about this gospel is the nicest thing we can do, but it's not. It's the most hateful thing we can do to keep this to ourselves. We've got to begin thinking that way. You will be misunderstood. But one day when you see Jesus, you will know that you were doing the most loving thing you were capable of doing as you share the gospel. Now, given we do this with compassion, with respect, honoring the people we're going to, and we, and we do that the very best we can, not just to stir up trouble. But listen, I, I want you to, to process this with me. So we've said a lot, and I'm pouring my guts out here because I just feel like as a church, this is a moment for us. And it, it, it may be emotional for you. Some of you guys, it may be just a decision that clicks in your head. And I'm trying to create something that, that isn't there for you. But I want, I want you to do this. If, if you feel like that God is calling you to be a part of this church moving forward in this way to reach this community, that you want to wrap your head around chapter four of Colossians, we can stick around in chapter two and three and keep it to ourselves and see God transform us, our families, our businesses, and all these kind of things. We can enjoy all of that and we can sit here and hoard it and keep it to ourselves. Or we can turn that outward and say, we will share that with our community at all costs. And if you want to be a part of that, then we have to pray that God will prepare our hearts. We have to pray that God will open doors. We have to proclaim that message with clarity and become experts in how to get that into people's lives. And we have to stop thinking about the consequences of our actions. And if we begin doing that, we can be like Paul and say, I'm in prison, but this is what God wanted because I was walking in obedience with him. Now listen, I'm sorry if any of you guys get put in prison. I don't want to go there either. But I know that when I have an eternity upon eternity upon eternity to spend with my God, I'm not going to point back and say that wasn't fair. And if he chooses to do that for me, I pray that God will give me the same grace he gave Paul to endure through that. I pray I never have to go through that. But I know that if I have to, he will carry me through. And whatever consequences God leaves in your life, you'll be able to handle it because his grace will sustain you. Listen, if that's you, uh, Ben, I want you to come. We're going to close with just a response time. And if that's you and you're like, hey, I want to, I want to do those things, those four things I want to submit to, and maybe even come up with a few more, but the Holy Spirit is speaking to me right now, and I know I've got to reorder some stuff in my life. I've got to figure out how I'm going to be a part of taking the gospel out. 
I'm going to figure out how I can be a part of going outward with this incredible news. And I can't keep this to myself. I want to be a part of this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for open doors. Pray for me. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to communicate all of this clearly. I'm going to forget about the consequences. If that's you, then I want to just lead us in a time of prayer. And I want to pray that God will mobilize us as a body and as individuals to do stuff we've never done before. Listen, we didn't buy this building and move here and continue this fellowship instead of shutting this thing down because we wanted to repeat the glory days of some other thing. Y'all, we're asking for a new outpouring of the gospel that blows all of our minds. That's what we're at, right? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen if we try and play it cool. We gotta go nuts and be gospel-obsessed people and take the gospel to our communities in whatever way God's equipped us to with the millions of gifts that he's given us. We can, we can because Christ in us is going to do it. If Christ is in us, the message will come out of us and we have to have the faith that he will do that in our lives. We wanna thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.